Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week, I'm joined here by Dwayne. Sebastian, I think we have a soccer-free weekend this weekend. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we well, I mean, from a from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, we get to be normal people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we get to be normal people that ultimately just watch soccer and enjoy soccer for, for what it's supposed to be. Uh, I mean, it is a big weekend, and we'll we'll talk about that a little later, but it is a big weekend for soccer. Uh, but uh, let's let's get through some club news first. Uh, so, huge tournament weekend last weekend. We we alluded to it uh, in the podcast last week. Um, so we had sixteen or seventeen teams, eighteen teams, nineteen teams, something like that, like going to the to the flash tournament or but Reading, uh, half Reading, half of Lancaster, uh, but. But ultimately, a successful, a, I, I believe, a successful tournament weekend. Yeah, that was definitely successful. You know, shout out to APL for putting on the tournament, making that happen. Um, but yeah, I think everybody got something out of it. You know, we had a couple, we had, what, five for five in the finals? Five for fives in the finals, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the teams that didn't make the finals still had good performances, still worked hard, you know, yep. still showed that development, right? Because continuous development. Absolutely. I mean, so we'll we'll recap the uh, the winning teams for the weekend. Uh, Twenty twelve girls dominant, dominant in their bracket with the uh, with the last minute assistant warm up coach uh, coming in clutch there to collect that medal. Uh, hey, I was I was fully going in there with the intention of being a cousin. Kyle was running a few minutes behind, so you know, you got that Delaware Union shirt on there. Like, hey, we need a coach. You're a coach. Up on it. I mean, you know the, all the kids on that team, anyways. At this point, well, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we warmed them up at Cecil too. Oh yeah, that is true. Yeah, and hey, hey, they won in that tournament as well. It's all about that warm up coach. It's all about that warm up coach. That's right. Yeah, I mean, Kyle, Kyle better be giving you half his medal at this point. Yeah, I mean, I got, better, I got a medal. Better split that medal in half, Kyle. Exactly. <laughs> um. So 2012 girls dominant in their in their in their division uh, played really really well from from what I was told. Uh, 2012 boys also dominant in their division. Um, 20 and then they won they won their bracket uh, in the top bracket as well. So important for them. Uh, 2011 boys having a really really good end to the season and winning their top bracket as well. So. So good, good win for them. 2010 boys being dominant as well. Uh, some really strong results in their bracket as well. Um, and then finally, the OA girls with a PK shootout tournament win, Villarreal style. Um, without the head coach. Without the head coach. Absolutely, without the head coach. Uh, so, you know, it, it, was a, it was a big weekend for the, for the OA girls specifically. Uh, four games in the weekend. Lost the first game, uh, up two nothing, and with ten minutes left to go, lose three to two against a very good Casa 09 team uh, that was playing up an age group. Uh, then beat Reading uh, with the TD as a head coach over that game, um, and then we uh, played Coventry Sunday morning. Uh, good win. Three to two, but but ultimately, like the two goals that we gave up, one was in the first ten minutes, and it was a bit of a soft goal that we gave up, and then one was in the last like two minutes of the game, uh, when it was three one, and then ultimately ended up three two, but a dominant win there, and then in the final, uh, one one going into regular time, and then PK shoot out at the end, and the the girls came up big and scored four. Other team missed two, um, just missed a goal, and two PKs, uh, and won the uh, one four to three. There we go. So, hey, what is a win? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's important. I mean, I've, I've said it before. I think PK shootouts in general, especially at this age, are, are somewhat of an unfair uh, thing. It's not something you practice a whole lot. It's not something that you really prepare for. But uh, I'm, I'm happy for the girls because ultimately they, they worked really hard. The, you know, the, I think the biggest win of all is, you know, coming through a. Uh, the somewhat disappointing loss in the first game and then turning the game around and winning the other two games and then ultimately going into the final. Uh, so, you know, their, the fate was in their hands and they, uh, they were able to perform really well. Um, and then I had the 2010 girls as well. And um, 
They they had a tough first game, mostly because of the heat. Like they just didn't adjust well to it in the second half of the first game. So tied, uh, then won the second game uh, really well. Um, played played really well there. And then the last game, uh, tough tough opponent in the sense that that they were just a little bit bigger and a little bit faster. Um, and at that age, it becomes difficult. And so we lost in the last three minutes of the game, but ultimately played really well. Um, so I was I was ultimately very happy with with how they performed as well. The, the, I think the girls were upset because they felt like they could have. It they weren't upset with themselves because I think they 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 just they were upset because they gave a hundred percent of their effort, and uh, and sometimes that's just part of life. Um, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing to to ultimately pick up every once in a while. It's one of those lessons that you learn from. Um, I got to watch the '09 girls nine v nine team. Um, and they played really well. They played some tough opponents. And, you know, again, we've talked about this before. 9v9 soccer becomes hard at times to really have a, a clear understanding of how you're performing as a team because sometimes it really does just come down to um, to just being able to kick a ball and uh, and more, more than your style of play. Uh, but the 09 girls, I thought their style of play in 99 really showed and they showed how prepared they are for 11 v 11, which I think is, is the critical thing in this stage of the game. Um, then I watched the 06 girls and I thought they played really, really well and competed extremely well against their teams. I got to hang out with soccer Dan and watch the 06 boys uh, for a little bit of, of, of their set of their first game. I got to watch the entire second half of their first game. Um, I realized why I usually don't coach boys. Uh, just became frustrating at times to watch. You can't tell me that team hasn't like transformed. Like the no, they play year. they they play well. I just it, it's just I am not like I sometimes just don't have enough patience to coach boys. Oh, no, you need a lot of. I don't have enough patience either. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So overall, you know the the O nine girls that played up to the O eight age group and played eleven v eleven competed really well. Uh, o seven girls played really well as well. So overall, all of our teams in the twenty eleven girls. Scored twelve goals in three games. So, so overall, Attacking principles of play. Absolutely, no. They they did really well. So overall, everybody everybody had a successful weekend. So now it's just a matter of uh, kind of wrapping up, um, uh, you know, kind of managing the the rest of the season. Um, a couple of our teams still have like one league game left to play. Um, this is always a tough part of the year, though. Uh, just because kids are just kind of ready for summer. They're in the last like two weeks of school anyway. So they're, they're mentally starting to like slightly check out a little bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, so yeah. So overall good weekends for everybody. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. Just a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy the, I enjoy those big tournament weekends. Um, it was tough because of how much distance there were between some of the fields. Like I was right. I felt like I drove a lot. This weekend, so that ultimately didn't leave me a whole lot of time to watch other teams play. But I do know, though, I do like the fact that um, for the most part, everybody got to watch at least somebody else play at some point. So it's uh, it's important. It, it shows our kids uh, see see a lot of different coaches. Coaches get to interact with other coaches and, and other teams, which is which is good. I was on, I was on an island by myself. You were, yeah, you were, you were in a completely different complex, all on your own. But you, you ended up getting into interact with other coaches as well, which is good. Hey, I didn't have to leave my complex; I was right there. That's true. Nobody, leave. nobody got to go to your complex because you were kind of like out of the way on your own little world. So it's all good. Shout out to Alex Colt, man. All, all your games at one complex, and only Correct. one conflict, so it's all good. Yeah, not bad. Um, and then the other part that happened this weekend was the, or the this week was our first official week with the Diamonds. Oh yeah, it's been fun um, this week. It's been a r- lot of fun. Um, we'll, as I'm hoping, this next week we'll have everybody, or the next week or two we'll have everybody there. Um, but ultimately, it's been a really good time so far. I think the quality of players that we have is uh, is strong, uh, and they're starting to really connect with each other. Um, so I think that's important too. There's they're starting to we're starting to have this we're starting to create a bond of players, which is, which is really good. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to how they yeah. perform as a team. Yeah, I mean, you can see last night, 
uh, that the players are starting to read other players and know how other players are starting to play. So like, oh, it's yeah, all about you- developing those relationships, right? We talked, we, we, I talked to them on, um, on Tuesday at practice about like having to develop these relationships with each other and how important that becomes. Um, because everybody kind of, we, we talked to them in the first practice of like, we're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're here to just, you know, get them to get them to play for six or seven weeks. Um, so ultimately they're going to play where they're comfortable on a field. And we're going to try to make sure that they play a position that that's natural to them, that they normally get to play. So, um, so having that understanding, there's really not a whole lot that has to happen whenever we put teams together. Everybody kind of knows wh- where to go. Um, you know, it's not like you're going to end up with every single forward on one team because everyone realizes that, you know, there's only, you know, four or five forwards on the team to begin with. So uh, the splits are usually pretty even. So it helps. Um, so good first week of practice. I thought um, got one more week, one more full week of practice, and then another full week before we before we prepare for our first game. So two more full weeks of practices before we we kick off. Uh, next week's gonna be not, be fun because we go three days in a row. Uh, that'll be that'll be nice. It's one of the few times in the year that we train three three nights in a row. Um, with that way the schedule works out. So it's a good time. Yeah, yeah I mean, looking forward to the season. I can't wait. You know, my Cujo for our followers out there that aren't local, we'll have that link for you. So you can That's watch right. That's right. Yeah, we uh, we did a little test run yesterday of our practice. We live streamed our practice to only like two people. It was Dwayne and, and my dad. Uh, you know, got to send the GM that link. You know. Oh yeah, you gotta uh, make him happy. You gotta make the GM happy. Uh, so, uh, so if your dad's the GM, is that Chad just a fan? <laughs> Super Chad, fan. Soccer director. Soccer director. <laughs> yeah, direct director of soccer operations. Equipment manager. Equipment manager. At that point, like we started with soccer director, and within five seconds, he is now the ball boy. He's the ball boy. Yeah, he's in charge of the select balls. <laughs> he will be the the sharpest dressed ball boy out there. Yeah, he will. <laughs> um, we'll get him a vest and everything. He'll be, he'll be out there in like a polo with a little with a little vest. Chase after balls. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him. We'll get him one of those pennies that we have that has like three numbers in the back, like five hundred and seventy-two. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um. So so no, make sure make sure you you check out all of our social media, uh, for for Delaware Union, um, on Facebook.com slash Delaware Union on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer on Twitter at D Union Soccer and of course our diamonds pages for Facebook and Instagram at de union diamonds um let's stay up to date with everything we got going on in the next few weeks especially with our first game coming up all right doing uh europa league yeah that was a crazy game so well, i only only got to watch like the first part of it because travel time and training so lack of training should have canceled the, but. the game the game I, I can't tell if the game was good or not. I, I know that the final the final part of the game, the, the PK shootout was fantastic. That was really fun. Um, but I don't know how like I, I don't know if the game was really like I thought it was a tactical, like from a tactical perspective, I thought Villarreal was absolutely fantastic. They sat deep. Um, they basically just waited for their chances. They they knew it was gonna come some sort of like free kick or, or something along those lines, which ultimately kind of how it ended up. Um, and that's how they were going to create their chances to score goals. And they knew Manchester United was going to try to attack them, but I felt like Manchester United never really had a, a clear vision. They, you know, VRL sat in their low block and just kind of, just kind of let them ping the ball around the outsides, but Manchester United didn't really do much with it. Like they just. I think that's where Manchester United struggles as a team. Like if a team's going to sit back, they kind of are okay with it. We just like, all right, let's play not to get scored on, right? Like they just play like it's just almost like watching Barcelona play. They just play possession. They were okay knocking the ball around, but there was nothing really like, even for like five or ten minutes. Hey, let's try to penetrate and get it. Let's like for ten minutes, let's try to go after him and get it. 
but you never saw any of that, right? Because a lot of the goals that Manchester United scored is the United scored this year have come from the like that transitional counterattack, right? Like they exactly you got to get know, those boys running like that that quick counterattack, especially with the speed that they have up up front with um, with Marcus Rashford, Fernandez, uh, Cavani. You know they 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 can get forward quickly. Um, Pogba's a way better player when he's running. Like yeah, for when sure. He's stuck and just making those one touch passes. He's not a good player. When he's he's out, not he's not the player you want making just a ten yard, fifteen yard pass. You yeah, want you that, the guy like, you want him. You do not want to see Pug Pumper Pug running full speed at you. That's a big dude. And not only that, like when he starts playing those like thirty or four yard like diagonal balls, you know that that becomes dangerous. And with the outside and it, of the foot, yeah, and we just didn't see that a whole lot. Um, so that became, I think, that became a tough game. Um, and then ultimately, we go into the PK shootouts, and I don't think I've ever seen like I've seen. PK shootouts go this far before every once in a while, but I don't think I've ever seen this many people score every single PK. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I don't know how somebody would have to find the, the history books of like how many, how many times as you know, in history has there been a PK shootout in general where it's decided literally on the 11th PK or the 22nd PK, um, you know, after everyone's gone except for the last goalkeeper and that like that's when it's decided. Um, you know, and I, I was watching the I was watching the broadcast um you know on uh on Paramount TV or CBS Sports or whatever whatever it is. Um and they were talking about how uh De Gea probably should have taken a better PK. And I'm just like, what are you expecting from him? like I just don't really and they were talking about how, how he didn't really have a good game. I'm like, I don't know, VRL scored one goal. Like, and the goal they scored, there's no chance he's going to stop them. So, I like, I don't know what else you want this guy to do at this point. Like, you know, I think – and I got to give him credit. He took time off. He took paternity leave in March. He he took, you know, some time off and came back, and Dean Henderson was ultimately starting over him, and he earned his spot back, and now he's in the Europa League final, and, and the blame goes to him because he missed a PK. Now, nah, man, like, if, if there's other issues that keeper, are under – Think about it. Your keeper – Missed a PK. Like we're talking about the one player on the field that's never on the attacking side of the field. Well, and not only that, he didn't. It's not like he made he missed a PK because he like hit it so hard that he like hit it into the stands. Like, like it hit low low corner, right? Low corner, like that's a, that's not bad. Maybe maybe he opened up his foot a little early, so Ruley had an idea of maybe where he was gonna go with it, and maybe it was a little hit a little soft, but. Um, When's the last time you think David De Gea was in a position like that in front of goal where it actually mattered and it wasn't a training session? Right. It's probably been like 15 years at yeah. least. Yeah. However old he is. But like, even when he was a youth player, it's probably been since he was like 14, 13 that he actually got played on the field, played an attacking role that mattered. Yeah. So everyone. Everyone's talking about how, like, oh, this is the sign that he needs to go, and I'm like, for, go for what? Like, so does that mean that? Does that mean that because Ruley made his PK and tied his and and stopped the hairs? Does that mean that Manchester United should go buy Ruley now? Yeah, transfer market value went up fifty mil. Yeah, right. Like, this is also the same goalkeeper that, like, uh, Hedo Ruley isn't on the Argentinian national team. Like he hasn't been in the national team uh, camps for like the last two years and he's not going to get called up for it. Right. Because ultimately Villarreal has another goalkeeper that, um, that played in La Liga, uh, you know, that, you know, uh, Sergio Asenjo, I think it's the one that, um, that usually plays in La Liga uh, and really was just playing in the Europa League. And good for Nia Emery for keeping keeping the keeping the, the kid on, you know? I think it's fair. Uh, I know, like, a lot of teams, especially the bigger clubs, do that to get their second keeper matches. And it definitely becomes difficult if you keep advancing, 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 that you want to put your top team out there. But, I mean, let the kid play. I mean, I don't think he's really a kid, but let he's the not, guy play. He's not, he's not old, though. Yeah, but, I mean, like, let him play. Like, let him get that experience. Again, Villarreal, you sell this guy for like 25 mil because he won a PK shootout. He could score PKs. That's a win for you guys. Yeah. 
right? Like, expose him to the world. Like, yeah, if he's not your number two or if he's not your number one and it's clear, fool everybody else and sell him. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, Ruli's Ruli's been around for a long time. Um, He used to, he went from, uh, he played in Argentina for a couple of years when he was, when he was younger. Um, and when he was in his early twenties and then, uh, and then went out to Real Sociedad, then kind of technically Manchester city kind of bought him, but then loaned him back to Real Sociedad. So he never really played at city. Um, but then I just wanted to see what happened next. So he went on two loans to Sociedad and then Sociedad bought him completely. Um, so he played there. A decent amount, and then uh, and then Sociedad the la- uh, between the nineteen and twenty season loaned him out to Montpellier in France, right? And he was like the goalkeeper of the league uh, of League One that year or something like that, and he was outstanding. And then VRL bought him this year, uh, so he's 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 good, and he's he's had some appearances with the national team, um, but you know Argentina's always produced very good goalkeepers. Uh, so it's always a really tough in Argentina. It's not a, it's not a country that usually changes their goalkeepers often. So once one or two are, are in the rotation, then it's really, you're just kind of fighting for that third or fourth spot, but that third or fourth spot usually ends up again. There's not a whole lot of rotation in the, in that lineup. So there's, there's a lot of goalkeepers that are playing high level, um, high level football this, this year. So there's, there's a lot of competition for it, but yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to jump on, David David De Gea. I mean, think about what goalkeepers out here scoring goals right now. Uh, I mean, Liverpool goalkeeper. I mean, yeah, he's he might be going up for quarters. They might change the game and have him going up for set plays more often. Does he now? Does he now beat uh, um, what's his name, Ederson from uh, from uh, from City for for that starting job for uh, for Brazil? Absolutely not. No, I think Ederson. Ederson, if it goes to PKs tomorrow, Ederson's definitely in the top five. I mean, that's the guy you want, right? He's like tatted up to his neck. Like that's a that's a scary dude, man. <laughs> imagine in that moment he like, except for he, he, I guess he would get yellow carded, but he like imagine like before he takes a PK, he takes his shirt off and he goes out there and just takes. He <laughs> better not have another yellow card. That's all I'm saying. Can you imagine that? What happens if you get red carded during a PK shootout? Uh, one of the field players has to be a goalkeeper. You know who's getting the call? Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, not Phil Foden. Phil Foden, I think, uh, is the has the ability. Well, Kyle Walker's stepped in goal before. Right, but I think, but I think, I think you just give it to Phil Foden. Like that guy's got ice in his veins. He's just gonna look at you like what? He's okay. just gonna look at you before you even take the peek, and you're like, and you're just at that, at that point, you're just like. I don't know if this guy's like just doesn't care or he's just like angry, but all I know is that if I score on him, he might kill me. So I'm just gonna give him the ball <laughs> silently, silently kill you. Yeah, yeah. He's just gonna stare at you, and you're just gonna like, just like, no, you know what? I quit. Like I don't want to play anymore. Um. So tomorrow, three o'clock. Speaking of which, we'll transition into that game. Uh, City Chelsea tomorrow. Yeah, I mean City, Chelsea. Hey, I mean you know what. You United States already won the Champions League. Yeah, you know. Well, hey, listen, Argentina did too for the Europa League. Like I said during the game. Actually, sorry, Argentina won. Argentina won the Champions League as well. Like I said, we're, we're over the Europa League. We're above. We hold us to a standard. Uh, the way I see it is, we we're gonna win both. We won one already. We'll win the other one. So good. We'll get two, get two in there. You know one thing the Argentina won with the Euros. <laughs> you know, at one point we, uh, I don't know if we get. So we had a. So Argentina had a. Um, Argentina actually won the or had a little bit of uh, in the 2006 World Cup when Italy won. Uh, there was an Argentinian-born Italy. Uh, resident that was on the that actually played. Yeah, somebody needs to investigate the Italian FA. C- Camoranesi, man. Italy be over here poaching players. We had one for France as well. Trezeguet. Poaching players. Argentinian. 
because they stole Giuseppe Rossi from the U.S. That was our that was our shouting star. <laughs> that was your that was your shot at it. Uh, so you know, Argentinians are everywhere, man. We we uh, we had one in Spain for a long time as well. Uh, have one for Italy. We got a we got a guy playing in Serbia from for the Serbian national team, <laughs> who plays in the Argentinian league. Who's Argentinian, but he's got like I mean, Serbian parents. Hey, if like you can't crack that, crack that top twenty-two, shop your services elsewhere. Maybe we can <laughs> investigate you guys. <laughs> Me? No, the Argentinian FA. Oh no, man, that's that, but the Argentina. Argentina is such a blended country. Like so many people from all over the place. So you have the ability to really just get your nationality from wherever you want. Like I, I mean, I my I have my uh, my great grandparents or beyond that are from um are from russia so you know i'm i could have gotten that uh i could have gotten that russian passport gone over and played uh played, played in the russian league they one player on the russian national team um what's his oh no hold on i know the the giant guy uh zuba was that the zuba. tall zuba zuba the really tall guy center back no, the forward. He was like six foot, like ten. Oh. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that that is ultimately. I'm telling you right now, uh, that is his name. Hold on a second. I'm gonna look him up. No, I'm not gonna argue with you with about Russian. All I know is Slavikov. yeah, Zuba, Zuba, man. Yeah, Slavikov. that's the only guy I know. Zuba, 32 years old, six six. Plays at uh, Zenit right now. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, you, you you test me on players. I'm gonna come through. You gonna come I'll, I'll know somebody. Somebody, I know somebody on that field. There's 22 names. I know somebody, or maybe a sub. Yeah. Um. I mean, I mean, listen. You you don't get more uh, you don't get more Russian than Mario Fernandez. You're right. <laughs> Very Russian, very Russian from Brazil, from Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo, uh, Russia. <laughs> he's that, it's that like he's got that satellite club in there, yeah. Uh-huh. No, but um, real quick, just shout out to all the U.S. players that want a trophy this year. It's like it's huge, it's huge. Like, yeah, so Junior Desson, Conrad that won the Copa del Rey, Barcelona underachieved, yeah, Gio Reyna that was the DFP Pokal, yep. You got Weston McKinney, who won the Italian Super Cup in the Copa Italia. Yep. Underachieved because they didn't win the league. Yeah. Tim Weah won League One. League That's three. right. Wait, how did we not talk about the fact that Lille won League One last weekend? I know. All that money PSG spends and all those players they got. And Tim Weah's out there. Tim Weah. And shout out to Canada for, uh, what's his name, Anthony Davis? Anthony. Yeah, Anthony David. Or, David. David. Yeah, Anthony yeah. David. Anthony Davis is the basketball player. Yeah, I was going to say wrong sport. Uh, but no, time. Anthony Anthony David, uh, who's who's really good as well. No, nah, he was yeah, he balls. Even though it yeah. sucks that he's from the country to the north. I yeah, mean, I know he's got a cousin that lives down here that he can switch passports with. Uh, Zach Steffen won the Premier League and he won the League Cup. Tyler Boyd won in the Turkish Super League. Uh, Chris Richards won the Bundesliga, even though he was on loan. Cheater. <laughs> um, this, I don't know how to say it. Jordan Sabatchu won the Swiss Super League. Ethan Horvath won the Belgian Pro League. Mark McKenzie with the Belgian Cup halfway through. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mark McKenzie going, going to the Champions League next year. How about it, right? Started right. from the bottom, now we're here. Started at the U.S. Open Cup, now we're here. That's right. Brendan Aronson um, went in the Austrian League and the Cup. Ben Letterman went in the Polish Cup. And Henry Wingo went in the Hungarian League. So America's just picking up all the trophies. That's right. Yeah. No, uh, big time, big time moves for American players all over the place. That's huge. I mean, Absolutely. we want most of the, like, Big leagues. I mean, with the exception of Italy, the Barcelona boys who folded in Juventus, who almost was playing in the Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, man, like that's where that's where that's where that comes in, right? 
all that all that um super league talk we would have ended up with uh with all these other teams in the Europa League Europa League would have been huge next year I mean the teams that wanted to go to the Super League can't even win their own league they can't even qualify for the Champions League <laughs> like you want to play in this league like anybody trying to watch you play you can't even finish in the top four <laughs> or top five in some countries so this idea of these big clubs brings up an interesting topic. Um, so in the U.S., we there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of big clubs that either internationally come into the U.S. and try to uh, form franchises or or partnerships with local clubs in the states, or or there's this there's this idea of franchise clubs, um, ultimately some sort of mothership club um, having these satellite clubs all over the country. Um, so if you don't know what we're talking about. Uh, some examples are uh, San Diego Surf, that ultimately ended up being a surf soccer club. Cedar Stars, kind of the same idea all over Jersey, and then started expanding outside. Like there's a Cedar Stars in Texas, I believe. Um, now, um, then you have Rush as probably one of the biggest ones and yes. one of the early one of the early adopters of it of this model. Um, and then there's there's a couple other ones you know here and there that that pop up that uh maybe are a little bit smaller right uh so uh you know i i wanted to kind of talk about where what you think about this idea of the idea of the franchise clubs because i do think that there's a place for it um and and you know i've sat in some meetings with with some different for, with some different organizations before um you know working either at delaware union or previous clubs with this idea of a franchise club and, and what the potential benefits or, or drawbacks are from it. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. I think, I think one of the things you think of, uh, like right, right when you started saying that, I, I immediately thought of like FC Delco. I don't even know if you would say they're like really a franchise club, but where they have a lot of satellite branches. Yeah. They have a Downingtown and Concha Hawken. Downingtown and Concha Hawken. But I think like when you get to these like major cities, it becomes difficult to keep your club in one space like i think part of it might be the satellites help out because it's hard to get to training if you got to go through an hour of traffic right so maybe the satellites spreading coaches out help the club grow and ultimately you know when you get to a zone two or you get to a premier team you can bring in the top players and bring them in together i think that's i think that's the idea um i know there's a lot of politics and some kids seem to be better than others and all that stuff, whatever. But I think if you do it the right way, it's definitely beneficial. You do it for the right reasons. And you're talking uh, from a, from a, like having one club within the same state, for example, and having these satellite locations within the yeah, state. Yeah, I'm talking one club in the same in state, state with satellite locations. Yeah. So like, let's use the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, for example, yeah. right? That would be a better example. Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you have Pittsburgh's a major city. Though it's definitely difficult to get to different areas with respect to training times and coaches' schedules, X, Y, and Z. I think for the younger age groups, you definitely need it. You need to have competition within your own club, teams playing against other teams. That way you're not traveling two hours for a 50-minute game. Right. It, it makes sense. Yeah. I think when you get to like a zone two, when you get to 11 v 11, I think that's where – you know, kids start saying, well, I want to play with the better kids. You know, some people think that winning matters. Yeah, winning matters, but I think you got to do it for the right reason. If you have a top 18 players that are significantly better than the other group, yeah, put them all together and develop the rest. Like, But don't lose sight of the other kids, of the rest of the pack because, yeah, that top 18 might be the top 18 right now. That doesn't mean they stay the top 18. Well, not only that, I mean, we all know that, like, I mean, the research is there showing that at 13, 14 years old, uh, you know, players, that's the that's the critical age when players decide to ultimately um, quit, quit the sport, you know. So this idea that like, oh, well, we're just going to keep the same the same uh, group of players together from now until they're 18. It's unrealistic. Uh, you know, players move, players quit, uh, you know, players switch clubs, get injuries, all things like that. So and and as you pointed out, this idea of of making sure that your second teams 
or your players not in your top group are still being developed because ultimately, A, um, that's a lot of the foundation of your club, right? Those are the kids that will always usually be there for you. Um, camps, uh, you know, programming that you, whatever you do, those are the kids that are going to show up. And then not to mention the fact that um, you, you end up, you know, players develop at different times. So you don't know when that player is going to ultimately develop and when that player is going to hit their stride. So, you know, if we're talking about a 13 year old that you're just going to cut them from the team and then you give them no, ch- no opportunities or, or no chance to ever see that top team or, or put the right coach in the right place to make sure they develop, um, that becomes difficult. So I think the other part of this is, so when we're looking at this idea of these franchise clubs across multiple States, um, you know, Rush being one of the biggest ones that that's got Rush, you know, Rush clubs all over the, you know, they're usually state driven. So, you know, Rush, Colorado, Rush, Jersey, Rush, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Rush, you know, New Jersey, Rush, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the idea of it. I think it's just a matter of what fits in. I think this idea of franchise clubs really fits in when there's a club that might not have an identity of its own. You know, so there's there's some help that potentially is needed uh, to a maybe compete against a, a different club or or if they don't have a style of play, if they don't have a lot of the curriculums or resources that this bigger club has already developed, that then allows you to just absorb that and give that to your families and your players. I think that's where there's a benefit potentially to it. Yeah. I think I think, you know, from a from a club perspective, and this is why I don't think it's ever necessarily um, fit in our, to our model here at Delaware Union is we have developed all of that stuff internally for ourselves. Um, you know, we have an identity as our club. We have a curriculum. We have a style of play. We have a handbook. We have all these things that we develop. We have all these resources that for our pathway. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with this idea that you don't have that, right? Ultimately, what I like about it is the fact that if you don't know how to do it and you have, don't have the ability to do it, you have a, a way to ultimately obtain that information. Um, yeah, I mean, resources and networking would definitely be one of the things. I mean, sometimes I think we take for granted that we have all these soccer guys, right? Yeah. People that know their sport have got the coaching education in one area, right? Like, but... I mean, you might look at a state like Wyoming, right? Right. Where they need a rush club because, you know, Wyoming soccer may not be popular. You know, it may not be a hotbed. People want to play, but the people that go to college or turn professional from Wyoming maybe don't come back to Wyoming and say, oh, let me start a soccer club. Right. So I think the resources and the networking definitely come take advantage where, you know, you got a guy in Wyoming that's like, hey, I'm going to run a soccer club, but I'm not a soccer guy. I don't know what to do. Can't put together a training session. Yeah. I need help, right? Instead of going for Facebook for help, you know, this Rush Club comes in and says, hey, we'll support you with everything you need. You know, we'll even come out and do clinics and stuff with your groups. And then that's where the benefit becomes. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, and I think that's the same idea with, with some of these international clubs, right? Um, I was involved briefly with the, uh, Wolves partnership with when I worked in Knoxville. Um, and, and again, it's, it's this idea of just a curriculum, some resources that, you know, an extra badge or, or logo you can put on your website that maybe attracts players or attracts people. Um, I think the hard part, I think the hard part with this international thing is that usually for the most part, a lot of this international clubs are, are clubs that if you're a soccer, if you're a soccer person, if you're a football fan, you ultimately know, right? Like someone comes to you and goes, oh, look, it's, you're, you could be part of the Wolves Academy, you know? All right, cool. Like, you know who Wolves are, right? If you could be part of the Celtic Academy, you know who Celtic is, right? Uh, whatever other academy you want to think about, like that's that's ultimately like fine. Um, the, the thing is, sometimes I think what gets missed is that not, not everybody from a non-football world will know some of these other, some of these clubs because they're in general, they don't have as much notoriety, right. Um, on a regular basis. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, think about it, right. You got to pick between going to a Southampton Academy or Barcelona Academy, right. Right. More people are going to pick Barcelona because they can relate to the badge. They've seen it somewhere. Or, or think about it as yeah, it's a great opportunity. 
opportunity. Yeah, you, you know, they sell you, they don't, I don't want to use the word sell, but they do show you that, hey, you get a week trial at the end of all everything, you know, if you end up being this specific player. And that's a part I don't know yet. Like if, and I don't think the research has, has been done or at least it hasn't been published, but, or at least not that I've seen of like, of all these academies, right. That, that ultimately form uh, around the country. Let's just take the U S for example. And there's, there's, there's other satellites in different countries too, but let's just take the U S for, for, for a minute. How many players have any of these clubs identified from a U.S. based uh, affiliate club or, or franchise? There's a couple that Barcelona Academy in Arizona. There is a couple of kids, but that's really that have and, gone out to La Masia. Fun? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So, There's I mean, a couple kids from Arizona. I want to say that kid that's in the building, like a Matthew Hope. Is one of those kids now? Now I think that one, if I'm not mistaken, that Barcelona Academy is a resident residential academy too, right? Okay. I, I think, think so. so. Yeah, I think that was a residential academy, so it makes it a little bit different because now you're it almost becomes a like an IMG, right? A, IMG or or something that that comes close to the idea of an MLS academy that has a resident residential program in it. You know, like the union does. Um, so that's where I think some of this stuff maybe kind of comes in a little bit more. I think. Again, it's just a matter of like ultimately you're trying to use this in a, as a way to get players into your program, which great, fine. But what are you providing for it? You know, like are you truly? And I think that's the reason why I don't think when we did it in Knoxville, I don't know that it 100 percent worked. And I think that's ultimately why we we no longer had the partnership very very much later. Um, was the fact that like I just don't know how much we actually use the resources given to us. So you, you put the name on the, on, on your website, you use it in your advertisement, but then are you really embracing all the resources that you have available to you? And I think there's a value to the resources, but if you are going to apply them, just like anything else, right? Like you have all this information, but if we're not going to use it, then how good it really is it. Right. So there's obviously a lot, a lot to, a lot that goes into it. And I think the deep, deeper topic of conversation, um, but it's sometimes good to talk about just because I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, at least from a personal standpoint, um, I've been I've been told like, oh, I just don't I just don't I don't like franchises or stuff like that. But like, it's not necessarily that I don't. I just think it, I, I don't when it doesn't apply. It, it, you have to be selective, right? Like, I, I just think it has to apply, right? Like you have to have a need for it and you have to have if, if it's the right fit, right? If I move to a club, let's just say. Tomorrow. I, uh, I, I move, I change clubs or I move to a different part of the country and, uh, and I end up getting a job at a club that's, that's smaller, bigger, doesn't matter, but doesn't have all the things that we have at Delaware union because they have never developed them. And they are ultimately not going to have the resources like the, that's not a priority for them. They would much rather pay somebody to come in and, and kind of put all that together. Fair enough. Like, I don't, I don't see, I don't not see the value in it if you don't have the ability to create the, the ideas in-house. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, that makes sense. And the partnerships as well, right? Like <laughs> if like, cause I think with rush, right. They can play on a different rush team for a different state. I think that was one of the things like if you played for back when it was Delaware rush, if PA rush wanted you to come play, like it was very simple to just move you to PA rush. I think if the goal was to say, Hey, at the end of every year, we want to bring all the rushes together. And I think they do that. I think they do like a rush cup or or, or something rush like that. Rush combine and take the top 18, and then we're going to go play. We have a partnership with Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United. We're going to take the top 18 players, and we're going to go play their U15 team. That's great, right? Like, you know, you have an end goal. It's definitely yep. attainable, and it's not – out of reach where it's like, Hey, you got to be at this certain level and then we'll get you a week trial. Overseas. Well, and I think when I think you're talking about this idea of developing it backwards, right. You're developing it from the ultimate goal, right. Starting with the why, like, why do I want to do this? Well, because I want to, I want to make sure that I create the most competitive environment to compete with some of the best clubs around the world. Right. Right. Well, how do I do that? Well, Ultimately, the U.S. is massive in comparison to other countries in Europe or, or you know, or South America or whatever. Um, so the only way for me to be able to compete is by branching out and finding the samples of players from all over the all over the country 
but then ultimately finding a way to combine those top kits together. And the best way I can do it is by creating this thing. So ultimately, again, you start with the idea of the ultimate goal is being competing. Let's just, I don't, I don't know exactly what the, I'm, I'm, we're using Russian as an example. It could be any, any of them, Um, but let's just say it's, it's, you know, uh, you know, USAFC, right. Uh, to, to not confuse it with another club that's backwards. That would be another, but let's just say it's USAFC, right. Uh, us, USA soccer club and, uh, and USA soccer club has franchises all over the country with the ultimate goal of competing with the top clubs, in Europe, right? Let's just say you can like the ultimate goal is to compete with the top academies uh, in England. Um, so, so then again, you start with that and then you work backwards to ultimately finding the idea that like what makes the most sense is to start franchises all over the country. Well, great. Fantastic. If that's your goal, fantastic. But like, again, I think part of it is the transparency of like, put it out up front, right? Just be upfront with it. Like ultimately here's what we're doing. Here's why, how we're going to develop players and, and great. Fantastic. If that's your goal and go for it. Um, so obviously a, a deeper conversation could be had on this. Right. I think there's, there's different ideas behind a lot of this stuff, but, but something, to, I think it's a good topic of conversation for us. I think it's something that has popped up in our radar, um, and good to talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause it's something that like, again, like the club, even from when I was a kid has evolved. Like this yeah, whole soccer sure. club thing has completely evolved where it's gone from, Mom and dad coaching and pull, printing out a sheet on Google from stuff to like session planner and having sessions and coaches getting coaching education, all that stuff. It's evolved. Like, and it's going to continue to evolve just like, you know, life around us continues to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Moving on to the player of the match award as we begin to wrap up our, our podcast. So uh, my player of the match goes out to Madeline Hudson. Uh, Madeline plays on the 2008 girls team and played through a broken arm in two places, broke her arm in two places in our first game of the tournament for four games without any of us knowing or realizing it. Hey. So, I mean, 13, right? 13 year old, 12, 13. Yeah. 12. That's incredible. Yeah. So she's out for four weeks with a torn or a broken radius and somewhere along her wrist, she kind of broke her arm as well. Uh, four weeks out. Uh, the doctor said the reason why it's going to heal in four weeks is because she's so young and her bones are still flexible enough and or whatever. And then they, they're still able to like heal relatively quickly. So uh big shout out to her because like, that, that's it. That's it. That's huge. And she came up big and only played every game except for a total of maybe five minutes where she subbed out for in the third game. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I've never broken a bone, so I don't, I can't relate to that. But that's incredible. Like when you sent me that, I was just like, wow. Like, yeah. That's just incredible. Yeah. So big shout out to her. So who's your player of the match? You were the player of the match to the whole, my army of a team, the whole army. 07s, 08s, 07s, they went out, competed hard this weekend, um, you know, did everything that we asked them to do. You know, we really focused, and they struggled a lot this year, but we really focused on attacking the entire week prior to uh, the tournament. And, you know, they went out and attacked. I mean, hey, you know, you go out, you attack, you know what you want to do. You want to try to go score goals. They went out and scored goals. Um, 08, 09s, they did a little push. Um, after the first half of their game, the parents apparently loved it. They had a little push at halftime, but I had to go run to another game. But by the time I got to the other field, they scored. And, like, for them, that's big for that group because they've been climbing out of a hole for a while. So good for them. Same with the 07 boys. You know, again, try to play on the front foot. They also had to battle. They're also battling some injuries and also the heat. So, Shout out to all those boys. They definitely earned their readers on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day that was. Um, earned that readers and, you know, continuing to watch them develop is fun. And watching them play is really fun. No, absolutely. Um, I think the, the, the development that group has had in general, those three age groups have had this o- overall is really good. I think the other part of it, um, 
is how excited those kids are in general. They're, they're, they're very coachable. I've, I've watched them and, and have, have uh, either trained them in some sessions or, or been around for some sessions or games and they're super coachable. They're always, uh, they always want to get information, which is, which is critical at this age. So big shout out yeah, to them. Yeah. If you go up to uh we give a shout out to Max Hayes, ask him how we want to play. And he'll tell you, he'll give you that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving on to on this day in soccer history or football history. Um, so this one goes out to the goes out to JBW, uh, Justin Brooks Ward, who was our first guest on our podcast almost a year ago. Um, so this one goes out to him. So Celtic Football Club was formed in November of 1887, but not until uh, May 28th. 1888 did they play their first match and it was played against Rangers who they beat that day three to two. Um, so, and then uh, now at that point, there was no Scottish league that didn't really start until 1890, 1891. Um, so, but yeah, schedule these games via telegram. <laughs> yeah. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> you gotta, re- you gotta report your scores via telegram. Hurry up. We gotta figure <laughs> out the standings. <laughs> you gotta send the pin too. You gotta send the pin. <laughs> um, gotta figure out the standings before nightfall. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so Celtic Football Club played their first match, for their first official match in 1888. Um, would you say that that is probably the fo- the most famous team that wears green? Celtic. Yeah, absolutely. What other team wears green? Like as a home color, not like. Like as a, like their like primary color. Nobody it, good. I mean, there's a couple of clubs in Argentina. Portland Timbers. Port Seattle Sounders. Portland um, Timbers are better. Trying to figure out if there's another club. Like I usually, um, I'm trying to figure out if in, uh, oh, uh, I mean, Sassuolo from Italy. <laughs> you like that pool though you like the Sassuolo pool though yeah <laughs> I was going through my like Italian clubs um, well, Italy has the crazy colors for their kits anyway yeah but Sassuolo is, is green and black I believe uh, that's their that's their primary colors um, I'm trying to think through La Liga no I mean there's a ton of purple teams in the world um, that one I know. I'm pretty good on purple team. I have to go to the Hungarian league. Betis. Betis is close. Betis is close. A little little blue or green and green and white. Um, so yeah. So so shout out to Celtic. Oh, I got Club. you. I got you. I got you. What? Theron Theron Sarvos. Varos. Where's that from? Hungary, I told you. Hungary. There you go. Hungarian league. <laughs> yeah. We got an American out there. He's there you go. Picture. There you go. Um, perfect. Get that green jersey on. Um, all right. So fair play of the week. I'm going to let you go first. Who's your fair play of the week? My fair play of the week. Um, shout out to the Middletown. Sorry. Apo School District custodial staff for you know, over the past couple of weeks working with us, getting us the lights, opening the gate, all that good stuff, taking a little bit of time out of their busy schedules to accommodate us. So definitely want to big, give a big shout out to them because I think they're, they have, um, especially custodial staffs across all school districts are very underappreciated. Um, you know, people say, oh, they just pick up our trash, clean up our trash. They do a lot more than that. You know, the floors, you know, the building, the appearance is everything. And coming from, you know, the staff side of working at a school, you know, you hear it from parents when they see stuff doesn't look the right way. There's a little speck of dirt. Like, oh, the school is dirty. Yeah, they do that, but they do a lot more to make sure that school operates and those fields are maintained as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Big shout out to them. Uh, By the way, uh, one other green team. Boston Celtics. Well, outside of the Boston Celtics. We mentioned them last week, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so where's Ronaldo from? 
Brazil? No, the uh, Ronaldo, the other one. New Ronaldo. Oh, uh, Sporting CP. Yeah. Gotcha. They're green. Yeah, they are. Very green. I, I, I still don't think they're as, very, as green. They're still a little bit white. It's basically like sideways. Like it's it's horizontal Betis. Yeah. Where Betis, Betis is vertical, vertical sporting. <laughs> yeah, there's no straight up green team right now. Celtic. There. Celtic's the only one. There you go. Celtic gets that. Um, oh, Forest Green Rovers also another one. <laughs> You're gonna just keep going. I mean, I might. You might, go um, on, you might be going into next week's podcast. <laughs> Maybe that's next week's pod. Next week's podcast is uh, uh, we do a color wheel <laughs> of uh, of the famous clubs in different. We'll, we'll spin the wheel and see how many. That's a game. That's the new game. How many clubs can you name in 30 seconds with that color? Yeah, we do a color wheel and you got to name as a, as a primary color. Oh man, you got to throw that's going to throw the PSG out of the out of whack. Why? Cuz PSG what's their primary color blue? Blue. They got like 50 different jerseys. No, blue. Blue like again, like if you like if you were to say like um so if you were to say Who's got? Let's just do a little quick, little quick uh, roundup here. Uh, who's got uh, light blue jerseys? Yeah, Man City. Man City. Who else? Who else you got with light blue jerseys? Uh, Atletico. Madrid. I guess it's not their primary jersey. No, red and white. Uh, light blue. This is tougher than you think. I'm. I got one. Philadelphia Union, their new jerseys are light blue. Yeah, but they're they're still their their primary color is still that like PSG blue to a certain extent. Uh that navy blue. Um I'm gonna go uh Celta, the Vigo. Primary color is uh is, is blue, light blue. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, it's tougher than when you actually start to think about it with like all these teams wear like different colors. Yeah. Yeah, but so you guys, so that's that's the key is we're looking like home home kit, right? Well, third kit, fourth kit, sixth kit. Yeah, so like if you were to if you were to look at like, you know, who's got a uh, whose primary color is like burgundy. Who who comes to mind with burgundy? I was going to say Arsenal, but that's just like a red. I mean, for me, for me, it's Barcelona. Like, it's kind of like a little burgundy on it. Like, it's got a, it's red and blue, but a little burgundy-ish. Uh, which which wave is Barcelona stripes go nowadays? Uh, they, they used to squares? they used to go up and down. Are they squares still? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's it. That would be a fun game. Um, that would be a fun game if we could figure that. Out. Like, I'll be a fun game. Um, my fair play of the week. Um, goes out to all the clubs in the world that are going to end up picking up these free agents at the end of this year, because uh, someone's smart enough to to pick up the guys that never got resigned, resigned. So, uh, so ultimately, you're picking them up without that transfer fee. Yeah, I know, right? Just get guys on clearance out here. <laughs> That's right. Hey, man, it's the best way to pick up. It's it's the best way to pick up players in FIFA. The difference in the FIFA is that usually the big time players like Wijnaldum, uh Aguero, uh, Eric Garcia don't go don't go don't go on free transfers. Luis Suarez goes on a free transfer and wins La Liga. I don't know. Technically, not a really a free transfer though. Like, cause he had to buy out. They had to buy. They basically kicked him out of the club, so they had to buy out his contract. And then he was kind of a free agent. But like, I'm talking Keep like, guy out I'm, tr- I'm trying. To, I'm talking like contract ending. Like my contract is done. Now I move on for free to somewhere else. Like again, like Barcelona's going to sign. Barcelona's announced. Uh, Laporte announced that they're signing a bunch of new players next week. Uh, yet, yet. Uh, not a hundred percent that they were bringing back Coleman back yet, but he's not announcing that yet. Um, uh, now the other one, the other one is Pochettino might be out of a PSG man. He might be out five months and out. He apparently he didn't win anything, did he? 
All right. he, he doesn't get along with he won the French League or the French Cup or whatever it is. He won the French League. No, he, no, he didn't win the league. He won the French Cup or he won that, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I don't care about that. Um, but um he's been in the club for five months. It's not his team. Dude, there is billions of dollars worth of players on that team. No, you, apparently he doesn't get along with the sporting director. Oh Chad. El Chad. La Chad. Or it's, it's Le Chad. Le Chad. Le Chad. Uh, every oh, club, every club has one. Every club has a Le Chad. You better get along with Neymar and Mbappe and all those other guys that are worth millions of dollars on that team. No, I think he gets along with them. He just doesn't get, a, he doesn't get along with Le Chad. Le Chad. Well, our guy to impress. Oh, that guy probably wears a vest too. <laughs> he definitely does wear a vest. Uh, all right, episode forty-eight, four, four left, man, and we're up to that year. We got to, we got to figure out something to do. I don't know. It's happening in a couple year. weeks. I don't know where I'll be in four weeks, but yeah, I'll be here. Yeah, <laughs> we got to maybe, maybe for the year. Maybe this is what we'll do for the year for the year podcast. Uh, maybe for the first time in one year, we will actually record the podcast right next to each other <laughs> instead yeah, of over Zoom. Yeah, we'll record it, you know, somewhere. Well, Middletown Village is probably not the place. And, and it could be. I don't want to know what's going on at Middletown Village during the day. At 10 a.m. on a Friday? During summer vacation? Well, f- well good good thing that we'll be there. We'll stop all, <laughs> all shenanigans from happening. <laughs> someone's gotta be the someone's gotta be the uh the the field manager. I'm trying to tell you we should have got a dog. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.